0: Welcome to the prospect league podcast, the podcast for the past, present and future of the prospect league, the home of elite college baseball players from across the country. I'm Lucas Burris Thrilled to be back for another episode. Let me start off by first and foremost saying thank you to all who watched and listened to our first episode with prospect league commissioner David Brower. If you are here and you haven't checked that one out yet, give it a watch, give it a listen. The Kamish had some really good things to say about his background, the future of the prospect league, all that fun stuff. So check it out. It's the first episode here. It's on YouTube. It's on all those podcast platforms. However, this week is very, very exciting. I can't wait to dive into our first alumni interview. A warm welcome to all the LSU baseball fans joining us here today as I introduce this week's guest, former LSU, former CICL, and former MLB second baseman, Warren Morris. Morris had a nine-year minor league and major league baseball career with MLB stops in Pittsburgh, Minnesota, and Detroit, jumping on the scene in 1999 with the Pirates batting 288 with 20 doubles, 15 home runs, and 73 RBIs to finish third in the Rookie of the Year voting. Prior to his time in professional baseball, Morris put his name in the record books at LSU from 1993 to 1996, where he batted 284 as a redshirt freshman in 94, before taking over the starting job at second base in 95 and earning second-team All-American honors as he led LSU in batting average runs, hits, stolen bases, and on-base percentage. In 1996, he earned preseason All-American honors before an injury sidelined Morris for most of that season before he would eventually return to lead LSU through the postseason, capping it off with his famous walk-off home run to win LSU the 1996 College World Series over Miami. To this day, Morris's home run is still the only walk-off championship-winning home run in College World Series baseball history. Morris was a star also on the national stage, a member of the 1995 USA national team. He batted 361 with five home runs, 11 doubles, and 21 RBIs across that summer before he earned his way onto the 1996 USA Olympic team where he and the rest of Team USA earned a bronze medal in the 1996 games. In Atlanta, Morris's connection to the prospect league comes just prior to those outstanding seasons of success, spending the 1994 summer with the Danville Dans in the CICL, a great guest with so much baseball knowledge, so much baseball history, and a soft spot for his time in the CICL and his summer with the Danville Dans. Let's get straight to it. Let's hear from our guest this week, Warren Morris. Warren Morris, welcome to the prospect league podcast.
1: All right, good. Hey Lucas, thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to visiting with you today about some of my days of yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll mix and we'll mix and match, you know, and and before we got started, you were talking about how it's the CICL versus the Prospect League. We'll mix and match, but I like to let people know and I just told them, you know, your history, one year with the Danville Dans, very common you know, a very large franchise in this. So, uh, you've got the well-storied history. You've got a long history and we're going to get to all of it, but I want to just start off with a little bit of what Warren Morris is up to these days.
1: Yeah. So I I guess my probably main title these days is dad. Uh, my wife, Julie and I, we've got three daughters. The the oldest two are twins. They're seniors this year. And, uh, you know, at high school, so they'll be college here in, in August, and then I have a 13-year-old. Today's actually her birthday, so happy wow. birthday to Stafford today. And uh,
0: Happy birthday, Stafford. But
1: yeah, just, uh, you know, staying busy, following them around. I work at a, a local bank here in Alexandria, Louisiana. It's called Red River Bank. Been here 17 years, so I, I like to say after baseball, this was my first real job, and uh, it's a great team I get to, to be with and get to help people in the community, so uh, that's that's kind of what I'm doing nowadays.
0: Yeah. Shout out Red River Bank. When you first contacted me, I saw that and I was like, what do you retired baseball players do once they're done playing? They go work for a bank. I don't know how much, how common that is, but I've seen a few of those already. So you're in the list of, of former players working for a yeah. bank. But how are you just staying connected to the game of baseball? You know, we're going to dive into all of that stuff. You know, you talked about your your daughters and stuff. Are, are you coaching any softball? Are you staying connected to the college or professional levels in any way uh, past your playing days?
1: No, no, not so much coaching. I do a little one-on-one, you know, things Mm -hmm. with some kids. My daughters, they're into lots of stuff, but none of them play softball or or into the baseball side of it. So uh, just a fan, you know, I I enjoy following college game, probably more so than pro. I watch a lot of LSU baseball, still follow the pro game as well, but uh, you know, just from, from playing it's kind of fun to make the transition. And now I feel like I'm a fan and can sit back and instead of trying to figure out how to, how to win the game. You just get to enjoy it and watch it, but, uh, you know, still get the competitive juices. So I definitely always want my team to win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, that draws you to my next question of, you know, baseball we talked about, it's one of my favorite questions to ask some of the guests that come on is what initially drew you to the game of baseball and what do you think keeps drawing you back? You know, you were initially drawn as a player and then you moved into the professional level from the college level, but you're still drawn back as a fan. You know, what about the game of baseball just keeps keeps that love going and keeps drawing you back?
1: Yeah, you know, baseball is a unique game in that it's a team game and you play as a team, but it has a lot of one-on-one aspect that hitter versus uh, pitcher. It's almost to me like a boxing match. You know, who's going to throw the first punch? Who's going to be able to, you know, make the make the move to overcome their best blow? Uh, so I always love that one-on-one. It's, you know, not like football and basketball, which I love those sports and I watch those too. But those sports, you can set a pick, you can block, someone can get in the way. Here, you know, it, it's just you versus the pitcher. Who's going to be better and that at bat? But then you get out on the field, the ball's put in play, and there's a team aspect. So it, it's a unique game, and I think that's why it appeals to a lot of people. Um, you know, it's not the fastest-paced game, but there's also some – You know, just nostalgia and just some peace to that, that you can just sit back and have a conversation while you're watching the game and then you see the action and then you get back to your conversation. So I've always loved it. I know there's a lot of new rules and things to speed the game up, which I understand why they're doing that. But I never had a problem with the pace of the game. You know, I've just always enjoyed watching it, even as a young kid
0: let's dive into that. Cause a lot of people talk about, you know, what's going on with the new rules and, and I'll pick your brain at that stuff. It's an interesting you know thing. you talked about pace play. What's your, what's your opinion on these new rules, the shift and the the pace of play and the, the bigger basis, how are you feeling about the game of baseball right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you, any leadership of any company, whether it's sports or not, they have to always keep their thumb on, you know, what is the consumer? What are they needing? What are they asking for? And, you know, we're in a fast-paced world, so I can understand it's tough to keep uh, especially on TV, someone's attention for three, four, four and a half hours. So I understand why they're speeding the game up. And, you know, I think some of the rules as far as bigger bases are for safety reasons, I'm all for that. Um, I don't know. I, I have a tough time with the shift. Um, just being a guy who prided himself on being able to hit where the pitch was. <laughs> I just kind of felt like if you're gonna play me in the shift that's fine. I'll just hit it the other way. So, you know, not allowing teams to do the shift. I understand um, why they're doing it. And, you know, some guys are going to try to hit home runs, but I, that's not a rule I would have put on. You know, I would have mm-hmm. been the one that would said, well, if the shift's not working for you as a hitter, maybe you need to figure out how to change your swing. But anyway, that, that's that been done. But as far as the speed up rules, I think um, it's some taking some getting used to, but things seem to be being being pretty well adjusted. So uh the pace of play, I, I'm okay with that as well. As long as you know it doesn't turn into some kind of like speed round where we just got to get the game over with in an hour. Right. Um,
0: I don't think I don't think we there at yeah.
1: yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the extra inning rule that they have mm-hmm. in the big leagues. Um I kind of like the way they play it out. But uh again, I understand all of that goes into the fact that they don't want a game that lasts for five hours.
0: Right. Right. Do you, did you ever have any experience with the shift? This might seem like a, an overarching question really, but you know, it's, it's a newer thing to the game. I think a lot of people miss that kind of point of how quickly the the shift became, oh, people are shifting to everyone shifting. When you were playing either at the college level or in the later years of the MLB, did you participate in the shift at all in that? Were you ever shifted or did you shift Um. at at, well, fielding?
1: Very, I mean, seldom. I think it, a lot of even you know now a lot of people do it, and it's kind of just a yeah. norm. But I, I do remember one year in pro ball and AAA, I played in Nashville, and uh, our manager there was a big believer in the shift. And I can just remember playing second base, and it really just feeling very awkward the fact that I was my normal position when we did that shift with a righty was I was like right behind the pitcher, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, almost yeah. that center field spot, and you know, but. Sometimes it worked. And then sometimes I was thinking, well, if I would have played my normal position, that ball's hit right to me. But, you know, with the, the way they look at statistics and, you know, try to figure out what's more likely to happen, I understand the numbers tell you. Um, on certain batters you're better off to be in the shift but uh, yeah it wasn't as prevalent now it's a lot more prevalent Um, honestly in my entire career I just I can mainly remember just that one coach and he was big on doing it a lot so he did it more the other times when I was in the big leagues you may move a little but you didn't have a, a full shift like you did now
0: yeah I think that's crazy because it just like I said became so only a select people amount of people were doing it to everyone was doing it. And then they had to be like, Whoa, we got to fix this. And it's good to see your perspective of that from like the hitter. You're like, well, just hit it the other way. Like what from a hitter who could slap the ball around you're like, but then you go from the fielder side and you're like, well, I don't really like moving around. I'd rather just play. So you have both sides of like, I don't care about the shift too. I don't want to participate in it. So it's it's interesting to pick that from someone who was kind of right before uh, the big Renaissance of the shift, but let's dive back into kind of that college stuff. You know, we love the college game and that stuff, but when i was you know looking at your history you almost played basketball that was your big thing and you're talking about the sports that you love what went into deciding that you were going to play baseball at lsu
1: well i mean it was it wasn't that tough a decision mainly because so you're right when but mainly the the decision time was more like when i was a younger kid like third right, fourth fifth right. grade cuz my dad was a high school basketball coach And, you know, I started playing basketball and like church league and different things, probably I was like five or six years old. And for whatever reason, I just never was interested in baseball until I had a friend of mine's dad asked me to come play on a little league team, like when I was nine or 10 years old. So like, I never played t-ball, you know, I kind of didn't get into it till later.
0: And, you know, you're talking about you making your way to LSU and, you know, two years at LSU, you're behind a... Perennial All American who was very good at second base, uh, and right before your big, you know, breakout time, you had that red shirt season. You played a little bit, and then you go to Danville in nineteen ninety four. How did you end up with the Danville Dans in ninety four?
1: Well, so you know, there was several players that at LSU who before me had gone to to Danville, and you know, I just simply asked them, and they they said they had a great experience and. You know, the opportunity was was brought to me. And, you know, it's kind of like I, I, it's good to be wanted. And so uh, the Dans were asking me to come play. And, you know, uh, Todd Walker, who was a first rounder, played second base. So that first year, really, for the first time in my life, I played in the outfield. <laughs> and and I knew I was going to get the opportunity because he was going to the to pro ball to get to play second base. So just the uh, the chance to go and play all summer at second base And then also, you know, to be able to to play with wooden bats and to get to work on hitting fastballs, curveballs, and, and, you know, just try to maybe hone in and improve a little bit. Um, I had a pretty good year that first year, but not great. I felt like I could do better. So I really came in with the mindset to go to Danville to, number one, get to play every day, hopefully on defense at second base. And then number two, to work on some things and try to improve on some things at the plate. So, uh, and then I guess number three would be, you know, everyone had told me it was a great place to go. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, it wasn't a tough decision, honestly. I, I was glad I went. And, you know, looking back, it, it was a great experience for me. We had a winning team. We won the league the year I was there. A lot of guys that I played with got to meet some other great guys from around the country that played with us. My host parents were super Um you know, just, it's just fun summer. And and I felt like I grew a lot, you know, I was two hours away from my home playing at LSU. And now I'm, you know, way off, you know, on the other side of the country, but just, you know, kind of confidence to feel like, Hey, you know, I, I can do this on my own. And, and so leading into that next year after Danville, like I was ready to go, you know, I felt fully confident and I have to give the, the, the town and, you know, the, the team there in Danville, a lot of credit for just helping to build me up so I could, continue to 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 get better in my career
0: yeah and I think that's a big thing of you know what we talk about and what we pride ourselves in what was formerly the the Central Illinois Collegiate League the CICL the Dans were part of that the Dans are still a part of what we do here at the Prospect League but you named all that stuff you know that we really pride ourselves on talking about developing players talking about enjoying the community talking about you know having mm-hmm. a good time where you were and you were getting into it a little bit but you know what was that time like for you in Danville on the field, you know, playing as well. Do, are you still connected to your host families at all? How long, you know, did you ever reach back out to them? You know, do you remember who you played with specifically? And, you know, you said you had a good year there, but anything specific on what your time was like, you know, just playing for that summer in Danville.
1: Yeah. The, the my host family really made me feel like just another one of their family. They had three kids and I felt like the oldest one in the family had a great house that had like a basement, which in Louisiana, you don't have basements, <laughs> you know, in Louisiana, if you go too far under the ground, you're going to hit water, but you know, just a great place and great people. Um, and, you know, they took me in, they, they, their name was the Garrens, And I remember, you know, just fond memories of there and, and playing in, in the stadium there and, You know, um, several years later, whenever I did get to the big leagues, they connected and we were able to, you know, hang out. They came to a game at Wrigley Field. So just surreal to, you know, be able to see those people every day. And, you know, swim in their pool and, you know, eat meals with them. And then not too long after that, you know, after a game at Wrigley Field, you know, they're coming to see me. So uh, just special. And, you know, I think it was special for them that we still kept connected and uh, that they were able to come and see me at the next level. And and that's the thing, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of host families there that they have the same story. You just never know what the future is going to be for one of these college guys that, I mean, the next Mike Trout could come through Danville or anywhere there. And, uh, you know, th- that's all part of the learning process that what you got to do to get to become whoever, you know, whatever player you are. And, you know, there's plenty of other guys. I know the guys that on that team that played with me, they're now attorneys or doctors and, you know, that all of that kind of builds into who they are as well. So just, just, a, I mean, I, I can't say enough. My time in Danville, uh, I I had a great summer and and really learned a lot.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think you're, you're itching around it. And I want to, I want to ask you just directly, like sum it up for us, you know, potential players, potential fans, potential host families, you know, why do you think this summer collegiate experience and playing in a league like the prospect league and the CICL is so important uh, to players like you?
1: Well, you know, I think it is, you know, the, the prospect league and, and, and what you guys do, it, it's, it's vital to really get you beyond just the setting of what you're used to. And you get a lot of instruction there at your college. But, uh, you know, you, you may not get to play every day like this. And, you know, you get to travel and you get to see how other players from around the country, you kind of hear their stories and see what they do. And maybe you pick up on a few little pointers there. And uh, it's the closest thing really to a minor league season that you have until you hit the minor leagues. Cause you play every day, you know, even in college, it's more than you play in high school, but you may have two or three days where you don't play and you go to practice. Well, like in the minor leagues and the big leagues, there's not really time for practice after spring training because you play every day. And then, you, you know, you're not just thrown out to the wolves. So you have a host family that's there to kind of help you get along and you got a nice place to stay. And, you know, they provided a job for me, which, you know, I I remember working in a car dealership. I was kind of like the detail guy. So I'd wash and wax cars and vacuum cars, which, you know, after you do several hundred cars with that, I remember thinking, I don't ever want to vacuum another car in my life. But, you know, it teaches you those kind of like life lessons of, hey, you know, you can't just show up and be the, you know, the next superstar. You got to put in the work and then you know, it wasn't just all about baseball, you know, there was the other things, which that's really life as well, I mean, even the guys in the major leagues, they don't get to do baseball 24 hours a day, they do it at the ballpark, but remember, they have a family, they're a dad, they're a husband, so, you know, all of those life lessons were things that you kind of get put there, right there in, in, in uh, in the summer league, and you know, you, you don't get a grade and you don't go to a class, but you get an education a little bit on life and what it's like to live on your own. So, I, you know, I, I'd say anyone that's thinking about doing it, you know, just step out and and and, and enjoy it and and know that you're going to be able to be a better player and a better person because of it.
0: I love that answer. That was just everything you could, you could hope for in in an experience like someone like you, who even has the, you know, the record to show, you know, you were able to do with a lot of the guys coming in. They want to have that, you know, I made it to the majors. I had a great college career, but just the other stuff that, you know, that we preach and that's really important. So let's, let's dive back into that baseball kind of stuff, you know, Danville, they set you up and that was a fantastic thing that they did because your 1995 season uh, with LSU was just fantastic. Can you talk about, you know, leading up to that season, what Danville was able to do for you and what you were able to put together uh, in your campaign in 1995.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, just the ability to be able to play every day at kind of second base the where I was going to get to play at LSU. And then that led right into the fall did well. And then, you know, I, I never felt like I had to step in someone's shoes, but when you're following up a guy who's maybe one of the greatest college baseball hitters of all time, Todd Walker, you know, and now down here we watch him. He's the he's a uh, an analyst on SEC Network, and uh, but just you know to be able to kind of become your your who the best you can be, and 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 I kind of was able to use the things that helped us to be successful and win there, and then our Danville team we we ended up winning the championship, and you know I think all of that just the confidence you get from you know, being out and and almost going to the ballpark expecting to win and then being on a great program at LSU and having that same feeling where, hey, I don't have to be like, you know, Babe Ruth. I just need to go out here and do a good job because we've got all these other good players. Um, And yeah, I didn't have a good year. and, And then, you know, that led to getting opportunity the next summer to also play in a summer league. But I got to play on Team USA and get to play against, you know, countries from all over the world and, that was lead to the Olympics the following year. So, I mean, it it really is a springboard. And honestly, again, I don't think anyone should ever feel like, you know, they've reached their peak because you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. If you would have asked me during that summer in Danville, if Hey, guess what? In a year or two, you're going to be in the Olympics and then you're going to get drafted to play pro ball. (laughs) I'd have probably said, wait a minute, You, you must be talking about somebody else, not me. Right. But, I mean, it happens. So you just never know how, um, you know, the game becomes a little easier for you. And then you get more confidence. And then pretty soon you look around and you're seeing the guys that are the best in the country in college. And you're thinking, well, I can compete with these guys. They're no different than me. So, uh, you know, it's just amazing to me looking back how things piece together. And you never know it when you're going through it. But when you look back, it's kind of a lot clearer. Um, so yeah, that, that, that 94 season in, in the summer, uh, really prepared me for what was to come in 95 and then even 96.
0: Yeah. And I'm, we got to get to 96. I'd be, I'd be lost if I, if I didn't bring it up, I'd be getting yelled at if I didn't talk to you about, you know, what you're known for you're the hero of that 96 college world series, take me through that game. And, you know, I just went back and I watched that 96 game and talk about, you know, just your whole experience in that game from throwing a runner out at the plate to getting multiple hits in that game to finally coming up in that and bat bat ninth and, and hitting that walk off, take me through just, you know, outside of, you know, what, I would say what you would normally say about it. Take me through, you know, what you felt and, you know, looking back at that game, how you feel about it looking back.
1: Yeah. I mean, you almost have to go even further back and, you know, just, I'll just briefly tell you, but, you know, to the start of the season and to be looked at as a leader and a preseason All-American and, you know, teams ranked number one, and then 12 games in I, I injured my wrist and, you know, really, diagnosis couldn't figure out what it was so I ended up sitting out two months and really wasn't getting any better and finally they diagnosed that I have a broken bone and I have the surgery and then by that time it's you know 29 days from surgery is when our regional started and I'm nowhere near 100% but they put me back in there about ninth because I you know I was able to at least you know slap at the ball and hopefully provide some leadership out on the field and the team gets on a roll, we get to Omaha, and then we get to that championship game, and by then, my hand's starting to feel a lot better, and so I know it's it's crazy, and as Cinderella stories it sounds, the very first time that I felt like I was 100 percent, and I told Coach Bertman before the game, and that national championship game, I said, I feel like I'm as close to 100 percent as I have all season today, and uh, you know, back in fourth game, Miami takes the lead in the top of the ninth, and guess who comes up to the bat with two outs in the bottom of the ninth down by one and uh, my teammate brad wilson's on third and you know i hadn't hit a home run all year i wasn't trying to hit a home run you know i I just wanted to get a base hit score him tied up and then the top of the order is coming up behind me but uh that ball comes off my bat and makes its way into the stands and what are we 27 years later and people are still asking me about it it's just it's amazing but I do, I guess, like you said, the most asked question I probably get is what were you thinking about when you stepped into the batter's box? And, you know, I can tell you, luckily, my teammate before me who, you know, had a great year, but he struck out right before me for out number two, Tim Lanier, our catcher. As he passed back towards the dugout towards me and I was going to the plate, he said these three words. He said, pick me up. And that was kind of our saying all year that, you know, no one in baseball is ever going to always going to get the hit somebody's going to make an error at some point, but that's okay. You know, you, you've you got all your teammates, They'll, they're there to pick you up and they can help win the game. So when he said that it just kind of registered for me, like I'm not going to feel like poor me, <laughs> I'm not going to feel like this is how did I get in this situation where I'm the last one before we lose this thing. And I really just, he said that and I just really had a mindset of, you know what? I'm going to be aggressive. This isn't really about me. All I can do is my best. And so I stepped in that box I remember thinking, you know what, if I strike out, I'm striking out swinging because I'm going to be aggressive. And maybe that's why that first pitch I took a swing at. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I was running as hard as I could to try to get to second. Cause I thought it was going to be a double and <laughs> that ball just kept going. So I was as shocked as everybody else there when it went over the fence. But uh, I mean, what a feeling you get to home plate and, all your teammates are there. And I mean, you, I can tell you, you end up on the bottom of that pile and you can't breathe down there. And, you know, it's just the elation of winning the championship. And for somebody who had to sit in the dugout and basically be a cheerleader rooting on everybody all year from that injury to be that exclamation point for that season is what's most special to me. And, uh, you know, that that's what I think sports are all about. It's not about the, the, you know, the numbers, the, the statistics, but it's about, how can you help your team achieve and win? And, you know, for me to be the 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 exclamation point on that season, that's my favorite part about all of it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I love what you said with the, the pick me up. It's such a common thing in the game of baseball from, you know, the lower levels to everything. It's such a common thing to say. And for that one, those three words that just resonate with you enough to, you know, be aggressive and, and to make that exclamation point is just such a you're the you're the only one to do it. I think that's why we continue to go back to it. If if a bunch of other people did it, we wouldn't be having this conversation as we were, but you're still the only man to hit that walk-off home run. So I think it's I think it shows how improbable it is and just how special that moment was. But you talked about the springboard, you know, from the springboard from Danville to the really good 95 season to the exclamation point 96 to MLB. You know, you talked about that. Take me through that journey for you of you got drafted. What was that like to you're playing in the the minors to you're on an MLB roster and you're starting at second base. Take me through that.
1: Yeah. I mean, really for me too. I mean, I'll I'll add another variable. What helped me a lot was soon after that 96, we win the championship and you know, the Olympics are in Atlanta that year. And uh, I end up making the U S Olympic team and we're playing right there in our home country. And, you know, in Rosenblatt stadium and in the college world series, there's like 26, 28,000 people. It's huge something for a college kid. And, uh, but now all of a sudden I'm in Fulton County stadium in Atlanta, there's 50,000 people chanting USA. And I mean, just get goosebumps thinking about it. You've got it on your chest, on your Jersey. Um, and, you know, we end up winning. It, it kind of looks gold. I, I might, I always tell somebody that I may uh, tell my grandkids, a small lie and tell them it's a gold medal, right. but we won the bronze medal. <laughs>
0: we like which, to spin uh, that a little bit because you're an yeah, Olympic right. medalist it, and then people, it, people it, it don't ask the what medal. They just go, Oh, you're an Olympic medalist.
1: The gold medals are really shiny and bright, but the bronze medals are pretty shiny. So they, it may work, but, um, but yeah, you know, and then from there getting drafted in the fifth round by the Rangers and, you know, getting to go play pro ball and, uh, you know, just every day it's almost like I'm, I'm kind of back to the Danville theme, but except, you know, to another level to where, you know, everything revolves around baseball and just get to kind of learn, what does it take to try to succeed at this level? And, But all of that stuff played in. And, you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, you know, I've won championships. I've been able to play on, you know, Olympic teams. I know the major league seems like a far, far away mountain to get on top of. But somebody's got to get there. Why not me? And, uh, yeah, after two years of playing uh, uh, in the minor leagues, I get traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates and really get a great opportunity as, as a young guy to get to play every day at second base there and wind up finishing my first year's third in the rookie of the year voting and, uh, you know, play for the Detroit Tigers, Minnesota Twins and end up playing nine years total in pro ball. I mean, it's crazy still. Like I can remember as a kid collecting baseball cards, the fact that I'm on a baseball card is still just kind of bizarre to me, but, uh, but, you know, I, it, 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 can be anyone. And, and I always share this too. When I talk to kids groups, my favorite part on that baseball card of me is when you look on the back and it shows, your birthday, weight, height, all that, but it says hometown. And I used to think to get to that highest level, you had to be like somebody from Los Angeles or New York or some big place. I never dreamed that you could just be from, you know, small hometown somewhere and get to the highest level. So I always make sure that they see that that it says Alexandria, Louisiana where I was born, where those kids live now. And I say, you know, if I can do that, there's no reason why anybody can't achieve their dreams if if you work hard enough and you believe in it. So, uh, but yeah, it it was, uh, if you would have asked me as a probably a high school, you know, kid to write an essay on what would you want your sports career to be the greatest, you know, what's the best scenario? Some ways I think it happened even better than I thought it could happen. So uh, just just really blessed to be able to live that out and, you know, look back on that career and be proud of it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, as you were going, you can just see how proud you are in that career. You know, whether you're third and rookie of the year or whether you're playing in the minor leagues, you can just it eludes how much how proud you are. Uh, over your time in the league. So I think that's really special. I just got a few more questions for you. We're going to we're gonna slow it down a little bit. We'll wrap it up. I want to get, you know, kind of your opinions on the general MLB and college ballpark stuff. You know, we talked about your connection to the game a little bit, but, you know, you've talked about Rosenblatt Stadium. You've talked about your time at LSU, your time in Danville, your time going to the Olympics, you know, looking at ballparks, that's a real big thing that we talk about. We pride ourselves in the type of ballparks we have in the prospect league. What is your favorite ballpark, your place, your favorite place to play, your favorite place to take in a game? You know, what's your field of dreams?
1: Well, I mean, for me, like growing up here where I did and, you know, didn't have like satellite TV, like now where there's 300 channels. So here in Louisiana, where I live, um, even though Houston's not that far away the two networks at a young age that carried most of the, the games every day was either the Atlanta Braves or the Chicago Cubs. So I found myself a Cubs fan. I loved Ryan Sandberg and, you know, WGN. And I felt like I knew all the ads from Chicago cause I watched so much, but yeah, watching Wrigley field and that green Ivy and, you know, just seeing those guys play every day. And that was before they had lights. And then, the first time playing for the pirates where I get to go play at Wrigley field. I mean, it was, it, it, it really took me a few minutes in batting practice just so I could like not be in awe that I was there. And, you know, it's just like you, you imagine in your mind what it's like, but then that Ivy is even greener and you know, that grass seems even even better than you, you thought it could be. And there's even some things I remember thinking, well, I always thought like it was a longer distance from the on deck circle to home plate, but it's really just a few steps, you know. So, you know, just just that the the brick and Wrigley field that that's kind of my field of dreams. But I mean, hey, getting to play in uh, in Colorado in Coors Field, and you hit a ball and it goes through that thin air, and <laughs> I didn't hit too many balls where I didn't realize it was going to be a home run and it went over the fence, but that does happen there. So, that that that's a fun place to play. But uh, you know, there's just that. Playing on big league level is is really just a, a thrill for anybody and it takes a little getting used to because I can remember even having to convince myself like, hey, you need to just calm down. This is the same size field as you played in high school and college, just has upper decks. <laughs> yeah. So don't focus on that and just focus on the game and play your game.
0: It's so interesting to say about Coors Field is you said it the same way you talk about your LSU home run of like the home runs in your career that you didn't know were leaving. Whereas your LSU walk off and Coors Field, like the, right. to the two places. So, all right, I got a few more uh, baseball mementos. That's a big thing. You know, you talked about baseball cards. You talked about your medal. You know, what is your favorite memento um, from your time uh, throughout your baseball career? What is something that you go back to and kind of look at? Uh, and it's a good memory for you. Well, I
1: mean, probably the number one thing, which is a little bit of a miracle that I even have, is the home run ball that I hit at LSU to win the College World Series. I have the ball. So, uh, ironically, a fan that lives in Omaha that just goes every year, he, he got the ball, and I don't know how, but somehow in the madness after the game with the interviews and all, he made his way onto the field and found me and basically said, you need to have this ball. So, you know, I signed the ball in exchange to give him. But that ball that I hit, I have it. It's at my house, and – you know, that's just a, a, a thrill to for me to have. And, you know, like awards wise, I guess my, my most prized possession would be, um, you know, just to, that bronze medal is just special to me. You know, I, I I've never served in the military. I always looked up to those people that gave their life for our country. And, you know, it, it's not even close, I know. But for me to be able to represent my country and, and put my game on the line to represent all the people out there, I just felt special that, that I was able to do that and, and not, and we were able to bring home a medal and, and hopefully those that watched were proud of what we did. So those are my two most, uh, most prized, I guess, possessions, if you would.
0: I have to ask before I get into the, the USA side of things, I completely agree with you on the, on that, but is that a common fact of knowledge that people know that you have that baseball? Cause I would never have guessed that you have that baseball. I was like, I don't no, know not how really. many people you've uh, told have that baseball.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, I think a lot of people are surprised because yeah. you know, I, it's, it's hard to believe how that guy was able to, to get through or whatever. And just after the game, people are heading out to get it to me. But uh, you know, I've had people ask me about the bat and uh that's kind of a good story too. So that bat I just used it that one day so that's the only game I used it in and the reason is our coach uh, Skip Berkman he owned the hitting facility and his daughter ran it and she came to Omaha the day before the championship game and she was going to be selling it's the same type of bats that we use but it was like a different paint and you know just kind Mm -hmm. of a newer deal and so she was trying to get some of the players to use those bats because they were going to sell them and she knew You know, people back in Baton Rouge would see those players using it, want to go to the store and buy it. So, well, baseball players, as you know, are very superstitious. Everybody said, well, no, I'm not going to switch. I'm going to use my bat. I've been using the whole time. I said, well, I'm batting ninth. It doesn't make that much difference. It's the same weight. I'll use it. So I'm the only one that used that bat. And it's just ironic that that's the one that hit the home run. And LSU has a real nice Hall of Fame room with a bunch of memorabilia, and that bat it sits in there. <laughs> yeah, so I always funny. go look at it, and it's just funny. Like I mean, you can tell when you look at the actual bat, it doesn't have all the cleat marks and dinks because I used it one day.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting how many times that baseball might have been used either. Like it, that baseball could have been the one hit that baseball had, and that one hit that bat had, like or you know that day right. that bat had. So just the crazy things of the world of baseball. I can't tell you how exciting this conversation has been. I think it's been fantastic. I I think everyone's going to enjoy it. I know I have. I'll leave you any final thoughts you have for the prospect league players, listening, the fans, or just the general baseball community uh, that you have to, to share.
1: No, I mean, I would just say, you know, I definitely think, you know, the league and, you know, specifically where I played, that's what I knew, Danville, they they're doing a great job and you know obviously it wouldn't continue like it is and continue to grow if if you weren't so kudos to you and thanks for what you do investing in those young guys lives and uh you know you never know where that's going to lead and uh you know for those host families out there you know you do make a difference and i appreciate what you do to sacrifice and bring a stranger into your home but uh for a kid from central Louisiana to, to be able to look back and just have fond memories of my time. And, you know, what, what is it? Maybe two or three months you're there, but it's funny. I just connected, uh, you know, I've, I've kept in touch, but one of my teammates, he played at Liberty university. So I never would have met him except we were teammates on the dance. Now he's been, he's been in a scout for the, for the Anaheim angels for 17 years. And he was coming in to scout the LSU versus Tennessee game. And he said, Hey, why don't you come down and watch the game and hang out? So I got to hang out with him. We had a great time, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't gone to Danville, you know? So I, it just, it, it, there's so many different avenues that this summer league, um, you know, just brings enrichment to people's lives. So, and, and hopefully, I know the brand of baseball is great. So the fans that come out, they get to take advantage of that too. So, Anything that pushes the game of baseball forward, I'm all for. So thanks for all that you do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. thank you. I think you're always welcome at a prospect league game. That's what, that's really what I'll leave you with. If you're ever in the area of one of our 17 teams, don't be afraid to stop by. I'm sure there's a, there's a free ticket waiting for you somewhere that you can enjoy, especially down there in Danville. I know she's got one down there for you. So thank you for your time, Warren Morris. This was great. Uh, and have a great rest of your day.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Warren Morris for joining me on the Prospect League Podcast. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. Really exciting stuff there with Warren Morris. Really good conversation. Maybe he'll take up my offer and head to some Prospect League games this year, but just a really good guy. Really exciting interview, and it's good to highlight some of that really exciting stuff he did in his career uh, and his history with the Prospect League and the Danville Dance. I really enjoyed that interview. I hope you did as well. And thanks again to Warren Morris. Before we wrap up this episode of the Prospect League Podcast, let's Get to what we always do and let's get to three things you need to know about the Prospect League and what's going on right now. The Prospect League celebration of 60 years of baseball is continuing. If you haven't checked that out yet, all that stuff is on our website as well, but we are celebrating 60 years of baseball here in the Prospect League this year and doing so, we're counting down the 60 days until opening day with 60 notable alumni here in the Prospect League. So check that out on all of our social media channels. It is still ongoing and this week you can see MLB Hall of Famer Kirby Puckett who we featured across our social media channels this week along with seven other, there's seven every week uh, of Prospect League notable alumni. In other news, Iowa right-handed pitcher Brody Beck and West Virginia infielder J.J. Weatherholt were recently named to the Golden Spikes Award midseason watch list by USA Baseball. Brack, a 2022 Clinton Lumber King, and Weatherholt, a 2019 Champion City King, are both having outstanding seasons with Brack tossing 69 strikeouts with a 3.20 ERA and 45 innings pitched and Weatherholt batting four fifty-one. With 16 doubles, eight home runs, and a 1 2 6 4 OPS. So, two really outstanding seasons there for two former Prospect League players. And in some general news, the Prospect League continues to make some exciting announcements. All of our teams are continuing to do so on their social media, on their website. So, check out all the exciting stuff there. Notable though, lots of player announcements going out right now. So, if you want a preview of what Prospect League teams are going to look like this year, what some of the players are coming in, check out those in the individual social media channels for a lot of the Prospect League teams. and some notable stuff. Promotional schedules were released this week for a few teams. Three in particular, the Burlington Bees, the Alton River Dragons, and the Springfield Lucky Horseshoes all released their 2023 promotional schedules. So check those out. Head to their individual websites. To get to those, you can just search them up or you can head to prospectleague.com. We've got the link on the top to every Prospect League team's website. So check that out. Go look at it. See what's going on in the Prospect League with players and promotional schedules. Some really exciting stuff there. But that includes this week's episode of the Prospect League podcast. There's more exciting interviews coming your way. We've got more notable alumni lined up to join us. So make sure you continue to check out the Prospect League podcast. Drop a like, subscribe, comment, leave your support. Make sure you're helping support this channel and the Prospect League podcast wherever you're watching it, whether you're listening. On a podcast platform right now or whether you're watching on YouTube, please support the Prospect League podcast. And remember, drop a comment if you're interested in a certain topic you want me to cover. If there's a notable alumni or current player that you want me to interview, just let me know. Leave a comment. Get the conversation going wherever you want to remember to do so. Really help support the podcast there. But that's all I have this week. A big shout out to Warren Morris. Make sure you stop by over the next two weeks to see what more exciting stuff are coming here to the Prospect League podcast. But until next time, I'm Lucas Burris signing off on the Prospect League podcast.